Welcome to the Listen to Your Footsteps podcast. I'm your host, Kojo Buffon, and this podcast is an extension of my book, also called Listen to Your Footsteps, which is a collection of essays, reflections, and poetry on things like fatherhood, identity and belonging, growing up, creativity, and the lessons learned. The purpose of this podcast is to gain insight and learn from the journeys that others have taken. I explore the worlds of art, culture, design, business, creativity, and life from the perspective of Africans who are contributing to the redefinition of the continent and who we are. So my guest today is Vanessa Tsiki. She's a yogi, a brand strategist, music and events promoter, and entrepreneur. Welcome. Yay, so glad to be here. Okay, so now tell me about this being an unsettled yogi. I mean, you can't make that my brand because I can't be unsettled yogi. It's just an aspect of my life, especially today. But I often find, you know, as a yogi, that people have an idea of what a yogi is. And I tend to contradict that just because of life. And I and I don't like the idea that people have because it also limits people from wanting to go on this journey. But I think the key is that it's a journey, right? And that you're yeah. on the you're on the journey as well, so there, there, there is merit in that because in interacting with you, one is interacting with somebody who understands the challenges and the benefits of kind of exploring the areas that you've explored. Absolutely, that I I can't take for granted, and I don't I actually. I'm very grateful for this journey and where it's taken me. It's taken me to places that I couldn't have ever like foreseen to be to be real so let's go back to the beginning um okay. we come from I, I assume we come from the same place yeah. yes um, we know we do. <laughs> you, well well you were born there but yeah when i when i look at your background it's it feels like you you were not stationary no no not at all so you so, so so where were you born you're born in Maseru? i was born in Roma. Angama, okay. Yes, and then um, when I was a toddler, we moved to Canada. Ah. We moved to Canada for a few years, and then we came back to Roma for another Roma Lesotho for another like two to three years, and then moved to England for a really long time, like about just under ten years. Why were Why were you moving so much? Um, my parents are academics, so they were uh, just getting their academic hustle on from postgrad to masters to um, PhDs. So they all have their doctors at the moment. Uh, and then, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a lawyer because of Ali McBeal and the practice. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was, I wasn't good at maths. I really, really sucked at maths. Um, but I was good at English. I was good at history. Like when I say good, I mean like top student in English and history and drama. So I was like, okay, what do those three things do? And it just seemed like a lawyer because I'm on stage in court mm. and I get to, you know, do my act out my monologue and soliloquy <laughs> and I make money and I like reading. It just, I thought it made complete sense. Well, it sounds like a very uh, what's it American perspective of it. So you weren't thinking about wigs. You weren't thinking about wigs and stuff, right? <laughs> no, I really wasn't. I was thinking of Ali McBeal in a cute two piece. You know, I had it. I had imagined it. <laughs> so when did you? So because I know you studied in, at UCT, right, in Cape Town. Yeah. Um, so 
Coming back from England, where did you move back? Did you move back to Lesotho? Yeah, we moved back to Lesotho. So I came back as a teenager. And um, when I came back, I'd straight, I went into um, Machabe. What was that transition like? So leaving the UK, yeah. um, uh, having kind of spent, let's say, your formative years yeah. um, outside of Lesotho and then moving back into Maseru. It was the most beautiful, relieving thing because England sucks on every level. It sucked. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, you know, it's, 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 a, it's the catfish that America is being unveiled to be. It's depressing. I think that was my first encounter with depression was in England. You're indoors. It's rainy. No one's as friendly as it is back home. You know, my brother and I just, we got really close because of that. Because mm. there was, there were, we were just pretty lonely. We were outcasts. We were like these foreigners from Africa, you know. So I mean, it was there were good parts as well at school. I made friends, and you know, I managed to climb the popularity ladder somehow. <laughs> but I really did. We missed home with every fiber of our being. So coming back was just so nice, and I was exotic when I got back. So I had all the fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's interesting because I, I I talked to, in, early in the podcast, I talked to Mokena Makeka, um, mm. who who's an architect and designer from Lesotho, but he grew up in the US. Ah. Um, but we're also kind of close, I guess, closer in age. So when he came back, it, it was a harder time in terms of making that transition um, mm. into, the, into school because I guess... I guess also in that period, everybody was kind of trying to figure, we're all trying to figure ourselves out. Yeah. Uh, and to a certain extent, they used to get a hard time in terms of being Basotu who didn't speak Sosotu, who sounded different, who, who, who hadn't had that ex- same, the same experiences growing up. That's so true. That's so true. That was a butt of jokes of not being able to speak the language, but luckily we understood it because our parents spoke it. Mm. And our accent was just very off. But because Kya Papa and I'm in drama, I, the accent, I played around with it a lot till I got it. My brother still struggles. He knows Susutu more than me, but to this day in his 40s, he still sounds like a foreigner. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, accents and language is always a, it's a very interesting thing because, I mean, it's like, like when, I moved to, when I moved to South Africa, um, yeah. somebody of my complexion is not supposed to speak an African exactly. language. Um, <laughs> And, and the fact that I speak Sosoto with, I wow. guess, a Lesotho accent, as opposed to the kind of um, Joburg. Joburg kind of mixed yeah. colloquialism, um, yeah. it, was, it was always considered unusual. Whereas in Lesotho, because I learned, I didn't, I learned Sosoto growing up in Lesotho, um, mm. as opposed to, I mean, it still takes me forever to read, to read anything in Sosoto. Um, and because I'm a Maseru boy, if I left, you know, if I left Maseru and I went to the villages, then it's like, I, yeah. you know, my Sosoto was never, was never good enough. It's a whole different story, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, no, I find that interesting because for me, my ability to pick up the accent, um, it took me about a couple of months, really. And also in England, my brother was, my brother's accent is Canadian full on because that's, where we started mm. off. Whereas mine has completely morphed, adapted. So when I was in Canada, I was Canadian, but when I was in British, I had a full-on Nottingham <laughs> <laughs> accent, like full-on. And my brother used to say, why do you speak like that, dude? Like, 
And I'd be like, because my friends do, and I feel like it's comfortable, and I don't want people pointing at me and asking me weird questions. Then I got to Lesotho, and I had to switch it up. But I think it's also because because we're moving so much to be to feel safe. I used to. I'm very good at like reading micro expressions and micro mm-hmm. movements and energies. I guess is what you can call them in a spiritual sense, and I adapt to them really easily. So I'm a very like palatable human being to be around, but that's also part of my wounding, you know. Yeah, because I can imagine then it's, it becomes very hard to find your, let's say your 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 you know your roots or your foundation um, from from which you, from which you move you move on from. And you don't feel safe to be yourself because you're not really not, you've never been accepted for you anywhere. And there is no place that is built for a Musotu Canadian British South African person. You're always a weirdo. How, how do you, how do you navigate that today? So let's say, I mean, you've, you've, you've lived, you've lived a life to this point. Um, you've, you've gone through the process of, of, I guess, internalizing and making sense of, of those kind of things. So this is something that I write about in my book, um, where this idea of belonging. Um, yeah. and, and personally, I felt like I belong, but I don't belong. Um, so at some stage, I wanted to write a book called On the Edges, where you always feel like you're, you're kind of on the fringes of, of spaces. Even though, even though everybody else around you considers you part of the 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 collective, but so how, how have you navigated this idea of belonging? I think I'm still navigating it, and I think part of it. Luckily, I don't know if it's the age of Aquarius, the time that we're in, or if it's if the people were a lot more woke or a lot more open, but the environments that I have, that I that I find myself in in communities seem to celebrate difference and individuality a lot more than they do conformity. Mm. So I'm very lucky that I'm not. I'm in a you know I've, I've, when I left even in Maseru, like Maseru is the biggest city in Lesotho, so it's the most open liberal place you're going to be. So then I was in a space where people thought it was cool to have a British accent and they liked the clothes that I had. And, you know, and it's still to this day, you know, people find it interesting that I am from Lesotho, but they assumed I was South African. Why, you know, I have a bit of a hint of an accent that they can't place. And it makes it, it you become sort of like, it's all about, you know, the, the, the buzzword is individuality mm. and alternativeness and all of that. So luckily I'm born and living in a space where that is my superpower. Yeah, I think it, it's, it'd be interesting to know what was Machabeng like when you got to Machabeng? Um, the reason why I asked that is because, I mean, I was at Machabeng in the 80s. I finished, yeah. I think, 1990, 91. Um, and and we still had this was before you know apartheid ended in South Africa, so yeah. a lot of a lot of a lot of um, businesses and embassies were based in Lesotho. So mm-hmm. for me, mm-hmm. Machabeng, we had so many different nationalities that yeah. you actually didn't you didn't really stand out, I guess, if you were from somewhere else or if you if you if you felt or looked different. Yeah. What was it like when you were there? 
I mean, definitely a lot less of that because it just progressively has kind of gone in the opposite direction of that. But luckily, when I was there, it definitely was still, it was still fully accredited. I mean, I don't know if you know that they've lost their accreditation. Yeah, uh, that's, yeah, let's not get into that. (laughs) (laughs) But it was fully accredited. So it was the only option other than the American school, which isn't, at that time, wasn't a real school. It was more like Mm. someone's backyard (laughs) teaching. So we had any international person in the African diaspora internationally there, which was, which was really helpful. And I think that's, that kind of helped. But at my stage, Basutu were definitely in the majority, without mm. a doubt. What did you go to UCT to do? Law. <laughs> okay, so you actually followed through on it. I did. That's all I knew. So I got accepted to um, the main universities were Rhodes, Vits, UOFs, and UCT. So Vits was straight up law, LLB, come through. UCT was... Mm, we don't know. Maybe just come do that. Do the long one, the BA law. And then once you've done BA law as an undergraduate, then you can do LLB as you're honest. And obviously my family were like, no, go to VITS. It's even better. They've got a better law school and whatever. But my heart knew that I needed to get as far as possible and just be free. <laughs> and something was in Cape Town that I needed. So I was like, no, actually, I'm going to, I don't mind taking the long route. I'll prove that I'm worthy of an LLB got there and my schedule, my timetable was loaded with law courses. So I'm doing biz law one, biz law two, labor law, um, corporate law, all these courses and they sucked. Wow. I have never been more bored in my life. Like, and once I understood what law was, which is basically just filling yourself with a lot of information. So a mm-hmm. lot of memory and finding loopholes in precedence in order that that work for whatever case you're working on. So being good at law is just being able to navigate and find loopholes and precedents that were already set. That is just not really, for me, a life-fulfilling, <laughs> purposeful endeavor. It just, it just wasn't feeding my passion. So after a year, I definitely dropped out and just focused on a general BA, which was politics and drama, which is, and, and um, gender studies. What do the folks think about it? Oh, I'm so lucky. My folks are just, my folks, I can do no wrong in my folks' (laughs) eyes. I think they got it right with my brother. So then they were, they proved to themselves that they're good, they're good parents. So for me, it was just like, (laughs) let's see what, let's see what comes out of this experiment. So they've always been really, really like open and, and cool. As long as I was in school, as long as I was getting a degree, they didn't care what I was getting it in. So. In terms of, because I know that you, I think the relationship with yoga started there. Yeah. Um, what, what kind of prompted you t- into that space? So um, just to take you a few steps back, I guess um, when I did get to the Soto Machabeng, towards my final years, you know, I was having, there were family issues, you know, my mom and brother were still in England. My dad was here. And just, we were just having family issues that were affecting me negatively. And the depression that was first seeded in the UK was blooming in the, in, in Maseru, in the Soto, mm. because I'm sort of catalyzed by these issues at home. And that's when I started to suffer very heavy depression and anxiety. And, it, and to the point where I was actually hospitalized, my parents had to take me to a clinic in bloom to really work on what was going on emotionally. And that's when I was diagnosed with bipolar, but 
bipolar two. So it's not the the extreme bipolar one where, you know, it's people jumping off bill thinking they can fly. This is more just an extreme in mood swings okay. from one to the other. Um, and that's a lot to deal with as a teenager. So mm. I went to UCT still sort of, um, I'd been given some antidepressants and, and they just didn't work for me because they made me feel nothing. And I'd rather be in pain than feel nothing. Nothing is a ghost. Nothing is like, what is your, like for someone who's so driven by purpose, feeling nothing is basically a death for me. Mm. So it was at UCT in Cape Town, you know, the hippie, wellness environment that I signed up for a course called, well, first I read a book by Eckhart Tolle called A New Earth. Yeah, and it's good, a really good it, book. I love that but, book. But, literally, I, but, but I've literally only got into those in the last, I'd say last six, seven years. That's, I mean, that's incredible. Some people still are yet to come across that knowledge, you know. I think I was lucky. I, got, I came across it when I was 17 years old. And I was able to, I, 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 it, was, it was revolutionary for me. I was like, wait, through the breath, I can manage my mind. I can control my mind because issues my mind here. That's a mm. thing that's, that's literally putting my life in disarray. And a New York gives you a theory, doesn't give you the practice. Yeah. So luckily being at UCT at this bougie school, you know, there's art of living that is actually one of one of the most like top sort of programs in the world that costs a fortune to do. And I was able to do it for like 300 rand as a club signed up at UCT because, you know, UCT subsidized. Uh -huh. So I went through that process of learning breathing techniques and yoga and wellness. And, and it literally was instantaneous. Once I was doing the breathing practice every day, I was able to stabilize my mind to a point of equanimity or at least as close to, and I didn't need the meds because that's all the meds were supposed to do was stabilize my mind, yeah. but they also took a lot away from it. And then, so you dropped out of law. So I dropped out of law. Just and I doing did a, a normal BA. Doing a uh, normal BA. I'm on Art of Living. I'm a full-on devotee at the Art of Living. Um, doing yoga, you know, have my party friends because I started my first company then as well. So I've got two very split lives. I have this life where I put on my harem pants and, you know, <laughs> go to yoga and eat vegetarian food and, you know, cacao. And then I've got another life where I'm throwing parties and, you know, we are literally the bridge between Joburg and Cape Town in terms of black entertainment. So Pop Dumi is contacting us to do Pop Bottles. Canock um, is co contacting us to do the concert legs of Rick Ross and Maino. We've got Head Honcho. So I'm living these very two crazy lives that I, that I both want, but I'm just, but I can never imagine them merging into one. So it's like a split personality. What's the thread that runs between what that runs through them, or the the bridge that exists between them? Because I mean, when I when I saw that, when I saw that you're doing the entertainment stuff, I was like, okay, that it feels it feels divorced. Yeah, um, it yeah. feels separate, but yeah. it feels separate, but not if that makes yeah. sense. It really isn't that it's only like in my thirties now where it's slowly coming together as things you know time kind of does, but. For me, it's this, it's service. It's a service for people. 
So whether you're leading a meditation, whether you're meditating with group consciousness at the Pashna for 10 days, you know, it's community. Mm. And I was able to build a community in the wellness space and feel like I belonged and build a community entertainment where it was black, um, young students who, you know, weren't taking the Cape Town bullshit of this racism that existed in the entertainment space and building community and people to surround you. So I think that thread is a sense of belonging and a sense, a place to call home. Hmm. Which in its own way ties back to you're trying to find a place where you belong. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when we talk about this idea of kind of belonging to, to somebody or belonging to kind of a tribe. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. Definitely. It felt like that in every single way. And you then begin to identify with that tribe. And that's where the problems come. (laughs) (laughs) So you're doing entertainment or you're Mm -hmm. doing kind of events and stuff. What prompted the, this, the, the foray into, into yoga and wellness in a very, like, I guess from a business perspective, as opposed to just you, you doing it and maybe teaching on your own occasionally when you have the chance yeah so i'm having so now i'm doing entertainment i'm doing wellness but you're right i'm just practicing i'm not i'm not actually doing it from a business um, sense or career whereas Mm. entertainment definitely is a career it's where i'm making money so i'm basically straddling these two opposing forces it feels like all the way through cape town till i come to joburg and joburg so why'd you come to joburg I'm curious. Because I was broke and partying and just not really doing much with my life. And my brother was just like, after paying my rent for the third time, he was like, there's no <laughs> way you're coming, you're coming to Johannesburg. You've got a degree. What the hell is going on? Get it together. So I came kicking and screaming. to I, I wanted to live in Cape Town for the rest of my life, but I wasn't making money because as a black creative who's trying to figure herself out, you're not you're not getting people just coming at you and th- that wasn't the time of like brands brands weren't interested in working with people and it was none of that no instagram mm. so you're basically it's actually a traditional job or not so i come to joburg to just get my life sorted and get a bit of direction and immediately all the contacts that i built in cape town are like so much more valuable in Johannesburg. Like it's, it's incredible. And I immediately jumped back into the entertainment scene and I'm working with, um, you know, up and coming with Mandisa, I'm working, I'm managing Naima McLean. I'm working with Black Major. I'm working at Sony and it just keeps happening. And then eventually I pair up with my, my crew, Cool Out, which is a Keo Reason, Kada yeah. and Sita. And we, and we, and Cool Out obviously existed before me, but they were a lot more backpacker underground hip hop and they needed a bit of that, you know, more girls, <laughs> more of a, a rooftop vibe, you know, classy vibe. So I think that was what I added to that. And I focused full on into Cool Out and did amazing things that still blow my mind to this day of what we were, what we, what we did. Mm. But. It's the lifestyle, Kojo. Like it's you're not sleeping. You you don't have a relationship because like who's gonna date a girl who's out literally every single night, night to like six a.m. 
We had parties every night because that's how we're getting paid. There's the drugs, the drinking, the partying. Like you've got to be, you're, it's your Miss Party, you know? Yeah. And how does that then merge with having to wake up at 4 a.m. and do three and a half hours of meditation and do yoga and eat a clean life, you know? It was completely opposing. And it started to crack on the side of the entertainment side. Mm. I, I was then again taken to hospital for a burnout after doing the Cuesta and Reason Festival in Katlehong over Christmas, which is family time. Mm. What am I doing in Katlehong doing a festival, which was the worst experience of my life. I mean, on the outside, it looked amazing. But from the inside, we lost a shitload of money. There were fractions already within the crew. And I just was, I was done. I wasn't eating right. And I was, I burnt out. And that's when I just realized I can't do this and I need to, I need to, I need to find a better way. And I need to just, I kind of took refuge in my spirituality and I took a sabbatical and went meditating in silence for 20 days and, you know, cleaned up and just went from vegetarian to vegan. And, and then that life wasn't calling me anymore. And then the wellness life did. And that's when I was able to meet up with Ines when she had this incredible dream that she was that she had set up but needed help blowing up mm. <laughs> and it just seemed to work out and only through working at the nest and stuff did i see that merge where hang on i can do events here hang yeah. on all my yeah. contacts in the entertainment feed so nicely into the wellness space it's still that's something i'm still trying to figure out is how the creative scene fits so nicely with the wellness space like it's it blows my mind and at the same time i think it's it feels like a a better space in terms of navigating as a woman. Because I can't imagine as a young woman navigating that, that entertainment and promotion space. It's the worst. I don't, I think at that time, I don't think, I think there were maybe two other female managers who were properly, and I'm not just saying people helping their friends, who were proper artist managers, and even less, maybe three or four other women who were, music promoters mm. and it's a very male dominated industry and you can i was you have to be tough i was fighting with bouncers and shady venue owners and you know people oh it was it was it was, it was tough it was really tough but yeah it kind of got me to where i am so i don't regret any part of it to be honest so is, is the i mean the nest do you still have the venue no so we during lockdown we had to Close, not because of the pandemic, though it was a beautiful excuse, but it was sort of indirectly. So we were based on Glen Eagle, just above um, what is now Alpaca. It used to yeah. be Duke's Burgers next door, Topo Gigio. I came for one. But you one, did. One, you came for the moon ceremony. Yeah, moon ceremony. Yeah. <laughs> I remember. So that, that was cool. And luckily our community, I mean, I think our community thinks we're a charity, not a, not a business. <laughs> like, and they see us as more of an NGO, which it kind of feels like that at times, but they were very supportive. We'd get random money in our accounts as donations for moon ceremonies that were crazy amounts that kept us going. But then what happened is because of the lockdown regulations, clubs were closed. And so restaurants became the party. So yeah. Topo Gigio then had a DJ and what, what? So imagine mm. now having our classes and it is booming next door because people from now 3 p.m. are partying at restaurants. Yeah, because so uh, curfew is earlier. 
Exactly. So they're starting early. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. So it just was, it was loud. People, yogis would come out and bump into drunken kids. People were throwing up outside of us. It was just impossible. Mm. And we had to go. And also Anissa and I were exhausted. We didn't know what we were doing. We had no real staff. It was just me and her. I was in the kitchen. She was front of house. We were teaching. It was just impossible. We were tired. So we packed up and went online and actually successfully pivoted online. I think we're the biggest online yoga studio on the continent. Like we actually have people coming and doing yoga. We're doing online. We did it really well and also needed the break because I also felt that my own brand, Be Creative, um, was being a bit cannibalized by the Nest Space and my other brand, Organic Nomad. And I was getting confused of mm. what was each one's purpose. So it, it was nice to take a break to just remember, okay, who am, who am I as Vanessa? Who, am, who is in this space? How do those um, interchangeably help each other? And now um, we, are, we just put in an offer for a space. So please, fingers crossed that we get it in Parktown, just near Parkhurst. You are listening to the Listen to Your Footsteps podcast, a podcast in which I chat to Africans from a cross-section of society and sectors, including art, culture, design, business, and creativity, to name a few. I delve into their journeys, the decisions they've taken to get to where they are, how they do what they do and everything in between. Essentially, we go wherever the conversation takes us. So what, what are those three brands? Um, and and, and what, is, what, what role do, they, do each play in your life, in your space? Mm, so it's actually um, a couple of brands, but three, three are active. So be creative has always been initially, it's just basically a personification of me. Okay. So it, it's, it's, it's entertainment, it's wellness, it's, it's, just, it's just a good, it's a, it's a culture. It's the one who's out there doing the things. The nest space is a space. It's somewhere to go. It's a community. It's not about Vanessa. It's not about Anissu. We just sometimes step in as representatives, but it's definitely not about us. Like we could leave and the nest would still be able to do its thing okay. so it's more of a community and a space to sort of re reprogram a lot of the limiting beliefs black people have when it comes to wellness and taking care of themselves and even spirituality so that feels more like a school i mean we do have a school we do train yoga teachers that's how we pivoted during lockdown and then organic nomad was now the the, the, the serious yogi part you know you know there's the the commercial yogi where it's like, yeah, I do yoga. I meditated at Spotify. But then there's a real work where it's like, you know, really delving into the nyamas um, and the sutras and chanting. And, you know, it's where I wear all white. And it's basically embodiment of the teacher, the spiritual teacher that I'm becoming. But then it just started overlapping because then, you know, a lot of my yogas and I'm, I'm, I'm very much a teacher and be creative as well. And not, it doesn't make me any less of a teacher because I do it commercially. Mm. Whereas the other one was more like community and like going on deep retreats and, you know, vision quests. And it was just documenting my spiritual journey. Um, and so they, they, that's when they started cannibalizing. And Organic Nomo was about food. I'm really good at cooking, especially vegan food. And the nest, then we opened a cafe. So that's where the food was. And it was just, it was getting a bit confusing. So even Organic Nomad had to take a pause and be, and it's still at the back end. I mean, I still get catering orders. I still get, you know, that sort of vibe. So I'm thinking more to focus that more as a catering rest food that is linked to spirituality. So food that feeds you and heals you 
tapping into Ayurveda. Whereas be creative is just, you know, me growing in the space and whatever it is, it is. And the nest is kind of um, dictated by our community and servicing their needs and wants. So which one helps you, let's say, make a living? And the reason I ask that is, so for example, I also have, you know, mm. it's taken me a while to get to the point where I have things that I do that yeah. are about putting food on the table. Yes, um, we spoke the, about this on Twitter, actually. Yeah, and then I have yeah. things that I do that I've always wanted to do, um, yeah. like this podcast, for example. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm spending money to be able to put together the podcast. At some stage, it'll probably, it'll probably start generating some kind of revenue for itself. But Definitely. the intention was never, was never about, um, you know, making, making money. Um, it was, okay, I'm going to start this thing because I've always said I wanted to do it. Um, and so I'm doing it and, and I'll think about, you know, I'll think about the, I guess the catch, catch phrases, monetization these days or the, the favorite phrase, but, but I can do this because I know the things that I do to, you know, like I write for corporates. I have a couple of clients that I consult for. And that's what, you know, that's what puts food on the table. Yes. I get, yes, definitely. So for me, it's a question, I think I should be proud. It's not a question of which brings money because they all bring money, significant. It's which one brings more money and it's more about consistency. Mm. So be creative is more consistent. So from be creative, I know, you know, with my partnership with Nike and just on average, the amount of bookings I get in a month, that there's an X amount that I can receive per month. Okay. Whereas the nest space is more ad hoc. So as much as we're very much working to getting salaries, it's more of when we do a retreat, when we do teacher training, when, uh, when we collaborate, when we do that. And it's this, this, this random amount that comes in, you know, every two to three months. And it's a good amount, but it's not consistency. And I'd rather mm. have less money that is consistent than a big sum that is, you never know when yeah. and where it's going to come because it just makes your life a lot easier. So I think be creative is definitely the one that's the most sustainable for me. Um, the nest space is, I think, literally about three months away from being very sustainable because now in our model, we've definitely a non-negotiable have our salaries there and we're not, we don't feel bad about it because in the wellness space, you know, I really am against spirituality that comes with the price tag. Mm. And I'm against it. I don't think you shouldn't be able to do yoga or meditate or explore, delve into spiritual practices because you don't have enough money, which has been what the wellness space has been thus far. So it's very difficult to charge. It's very difficult to charge for, um, especially people. I mean, brands, it's easy. But people, it's very difficult. So mostly the nest space is all we mainly work on donations. But funnily enough, our donations surpass our paid classes. Mm, But at the same time, I mean, it's, I think it's important that one think, think through models. Um, I mean, I've been in the media space for years and I keep telling people that the conversation around media is a, for example, magazine is a business model conversation. Uh, we mm. end up focused on the emotional or the social aspects of it, but mm. it's only sustainable if you have a a coherent uh, a coherent model behind it, because that then allows you to be able to to do more and be able to offer more. 
Mm. Actually, wanted to ask because I do want you to help me. And following the conversation we had, is like, how do you balance that your your time and your your babies with the stuff that you know brings you money? Like, how do you? Because that's what I'm finding. I'm so when people pay me, I carve out the time. I do it when it's on me. I don't know. It just doesn't. There just doesn't seem to be the space or time because other people pay. How do you balance that? So, the whole conversation about, for example, like work-life balance. Um, yeah. And and when I was in magazine, I, I, I kind of, I was I was a part of a talk, and somebody said to me, "It's not about balance. It's about alignment." Um, mm-hmm. I like uh, that. And, and so what I did when I was in magazine in particular is I divided it up into work, family, and self, uh, because work is part of life. Um, and, you know, I was a destiny man and I had a full-time job and I was quite busy. And yeah. what I try to do is I try to find some kind of harmony or alignment on a weekly basis. Um, so, you know, this week, if this week I have put most of my attention into work because like we're on deadline, mm. um, next week when I have a bit more, a bit more time, how much do I devote to family? How much do I devote to myself? Mm. Um, and it's, so it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing thing. So it's not a, I guess it's not a destination. So it's not like, okay, th- today I figured it out. I know where the balance is. Yeah. Um, it literally is about, you know, some weeks, some weeks I'm focused more on income generating stuff because, you know, I have deadlines. I have a couple of deadlines this week, yeah. but I'll know that next week, then I'll cover up some time for, you know, for other things. So it, it literally is a, yeah, it's, it's an ongoing, it's like a work in progress. And, and more and more I find myself, I'm not worried about, I'm not thinking about the destination. Um, so when you talk about Eckhart Tolle, for example, I remember the first book I engaged with was The Power of Now. Um, and I'm not a, I'm not an audio book person, but I'd had a procedure on my eyes. So I had to keep my eyes closed for a week. So I, so I downloaded that, 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 um, audio book and I listened to that. And I think at the time it, you know, I, I believe that we, you know, you read a book or you'll engage with something at the time that you're supposed to. So I'd had an opportunity to interact yeah. with it for years and I just never got around to it. And the time when, you know, the time when I did, I was the most open to it. Mm. Um, so what I always say is I try to focus on what's right in front of me. Um, and that's what the pandemic has also done. So I, I try not to stress. I keep in mind all the things that I'm doing. But I try not to stress about, you know, like this week, um, if I'm on deadline for stuff, then I'm in, that's why I'm, I put my attention. And I'm not going to sit and go, oh, yeah, but I've got these other things that I'm not catering for, um, and then start, start beating myself up about it. Yeah. Um, you know, so for example, this conversation that we're having, it's like, this was, the, this was the time I have available. I had other stuff going on, but I was yeah. like, okay, this week I want to do at least one one podcast episode. So, you know, once we're done with this, once we agreed that we're going to, we're going to chat and we're chatting, like when I leave here, I'm like, okay, I've done that. Mm. And I can, you know, I can on maybe 
Tuesday next week, I'll go, oh, okay, so who am I going to chat to next? Mm. Mm. I think that's really, that's admirable. It's just that, that ability to just carve out that discipline, to carve out and be like, okay, one, I'm going to have a conversation a week because what happens to me is I'm like, okay, we're going to do this. And then I get a call. <laughs> that comes with, you know, invoicing or whatever, your quote. And it kind of surpasses, it almost makes it seem as if my stuff isn't as important because of the paycheck because we're living this Joburg rat race. I think it's also about finding finding your balance within it. So look, mm-hmm. there, there are weeks when, and this podcast has been my biggest lesson. Mm-hmm. Um, as a content person, I know that I want to be regular, so the idea is that every week I have an email newsletter um, that I want to put out every week, and then. Yo, life, why am I not on that newsletter? I don't. I don't know. Why are you ze- talking about it? Zebraculture.substack.com. Zebra, how wait? How do you spell sub sub zebraculture dot substack? Yeah, it's also my. So there's links on my site. Okay, okay. But um, I get, I've had weeks. I mean, I've, with a podcast, I've gone like a month without posting anything just because yeah. I'm busy and, and I'm doing, you know, I'm doing paid for work. Yeah. And it's also just learning not to beat myself up about, mm-hmm. about that. Uh, and I found that that was the biggest thing. So my stress would be from this internal schedule or internal calendar that I have. Um, and, and sometimes it's like, actually, I don't have the bandwidth. You know, yeah. sometimes, sometimes it's, not even, it's not even that I'm, I'm busy with other things. It's just right now I don't have the energy for it. Yeah. Like today I just yeah. want to chill and read something or watch something or, or just, you know, chill out. Yeah. Yeah, that, that resonates a lot. <laughs> And then the discipline, I mean, I'm still working at it, but I, I try to diarize stuff. Yeah. So um, what I'm trying to do a lot more of is, for example, my writing time, even f- whether it's for my clients or my own stuff, yeah. is actually allocating time to those things, even if it's 30 minutes here, an hour Got there. Got you. That makes sense. But now you're asking me 101 questions. <laughs> <laughs> we must learn. <laughs> How how has it been? So I mean, yoga that that whole that whole space. Let's say the wellness yeah. space, right? Yeah. Um, from an African context, it yeah. sometimes it I guess for for a lot of people it seems like a contradiction, yeah. or it seems in conflict with with religion, with our own you know our own traditions and cultures. Um, how has it been navigating that? So it's actually been quite easy, I guess, because we're not, we don't, we don't, we don't sort of force ourselves onto anybody. You know, mm. one who interacts with us is doing so out of their, out of their will. So it's usually, you need to come find us. You need to seek us mm. to, to connect. So that kind of helps us filter anybody who might not be open to the sort of healing and wellness practices. But then also within our community, it's for me, there's wellness has way more of a link to African cultural practices 
and way of life than Christian religion does. Mm. And if we were able to adapt to Christianity, then you don't even have to adapt to the wellness space because it brings it down to understanding lineage. And you don't have to tell an African about lineage. Like, I mean, our ancestors are our ancestors. Um, we do, it's who we are. We are we are we are sort of defined by our lineage and that's sort of what yoga and wellness is about it's about connecting to a lineage of energy that has come before you and being the best version or the best link so far and in order to do that you need to find a sense of purpose um i've got a lecture actually that i do um on our teacher training on african spirituality and so i've done i speak about you know how African spirituality, similar to yoga and wellness, is just as much taboo to uh, the common folk who are religious. Hmm. But the thing is about African spirituality, it's like a fake taboo because it's all well to go to church or whatever, but when anything serious happens or unexplainable, inexplicable, trust black folk will put their Bible down or on top of praying, then call in the healer, the traditional yeah. healer, et cetera, to come help and do and help with the situation. So it's like, yeah, yeah, we're not, we're not, we're not, we don't practice those heathen practices until it's necessary. It's ingrained mm. in our DNA. I've seen it in my family. I've seen it in other people that when the going gets tough, you automatically fall back onto who you are. And marrying, and the thing about African spirituality, our the, the reason it continues to grow across the diaspora into the international fields is because it's the ability to adapt. African spirituality, unlike Christianity, doesn't say you can't do anything. Yeah. It says do that on top of this. This will amplify. And so there's no contradiction. And it and does it, it does feel like particularly I mean I'll talk within the South African context because this is where mm -hmm. I live right now. It mm -hmm. it does feel like people are are starting to open up more to that connection with that African spirituality. Because for a long time, for a long time, it was, you know, it's the uncivilized, you know, the uncivilized thing because of all of our colonial history. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what it is. I feel like in general, there's like, and in the spiritual context, anyone who's in the spiritual space knows of the age of Aquarius, which, um, you know, speaks of time periods that, go over like centuries so we came into the age of aquarius just before the a pandemic if i'm not mistaken and that is tied into i mean zodiac whether you believe it or not you know we mm. come from the age of pisces which was said over the hundreds of years to be characterized by secrecy and you know building stuff and like not sharing knowledge like even in the spiritual space in order to learn kundalini yoga you'd have to go deep into India. And even then they could still deny you because it was only reserved for kings and queens. Mm. And it is in the age of Aquarius, which is now, which comes with coincidentally, I don't know, I don't believe in coincidences, but you can see it as that, comes in at the time that the internet comes in. Mm. And now it's this expansive, it's an Aquarius energy is about bringing down the status quo, tearing down things that separate us, this sort of revolutionary spirit in terms of being for the people. And you can see that across the world. And obviously, spiritualists are always like, yes, we saw this coming. <laughs> it is the age of Aquarius. Whereas, you know, realists, I guess, or more pragmatic people speak of it's just where it's millennials. 
It's 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 Generation Z. They are they are they are not having it. We are mm. not having it. And so whichever context you look at it, and you know, my mom did her PhD in African spiritual healing, and from her I learned that it is not so much you know spirituality, psychology, all of these things are just languages. If you see, mm. you know, it's they are all interconnected. It's just the lens in which you choose to view it from. And you don't need to judge anyone else or criticize someone's lens because that's that's their lens. Yeah. But it's just basically having an open mind and heart to see it from their perspective and then marry it with your own. Absolutely. Mm. Sure. On that note. Mm, don't say th- it's a time to go. Uh, yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Kojo. All really right, appreciate bye. this conversation. Okay. Bye-bye. The Listen to Your Footsteps podcast is produced by Zebra Culture. If you have ideas of what we can do better, people you'd like us to have a conversation with, or would just like to share a thought, you can email me on info at zebraculture.com. To check out past episodes, go to kojabuffer.com slash podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share with a friend. If you'd like to get a copy of the book, Listen to Your Footsteps, check out kojabuffer.com slash book. There are details on the various spaces it's available at. I'd also appreciate it if you could leave a review or comment wherever you listen to your podcasts. Finally, there's the Zebra Culture by Koja Buffer newsletter where on a weekly basis, I share a curated list of articles, playlists, videos, etc. that have caught my attention. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed listening to the conversation as much as I enjoyed having it.